Hello, Intentional Clinician listeners. You are in for it today. I'm going to let you know up front, this episode contains possibly offensive language like swear words and other words that men use to describe one another. The reason that we're using this language in this podcast is because there is this book for men called Be Less Dickish, the definitive self-help book about men. And it's by David Coates and Corey Kilpack. And I had the amazing opportunity to interview both of them um, while we were all in different time zones about this phenomenal book that is sure to cause a stir. Now, while this book was written for men, we will get into it later that this book is also great for women trying to understand men. And as a man, I would say that this is one of the quickest ways to get into the male psyche for people that are not into psychology or Jungian therapy nerds or whatever you want to say. This is practical. This, These are the guys you see in your life and they have come up with this amazing archetypes. And then not only that, but later in the book, um, there are applicable ways to help you if you fall into one of these extreme archetypes. And we've all been there. So a little bit about them. David Coates saw men like those featured in his book, Be Less Dickish, while practicing psychotherapy in San Francisco. He is originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He enjoys crawfish boils and organic kale salads. When triggered, he tends toward a few of the quadrants we will name in the Be Less Dickish model. He currently resides in places warmer than San Francisco and continues to travel right support men, women, and couples fighting and figuring things out. And he's also teaching. Corey Kilpack was Coates's client before collaborating on Be Less Dickish. He worked on a trawler in the Bering Sea and has been a missionary, investment banker, hedge fund manager, tinner, alcoholic, and in his words, I quote, douchebag, dick, asshole, and pussy. He is married to Keeley, And he is a dad, grandfather, an entrepreneur, and just a regular fella who enjoys restoring old Lamborghini tractors with his family and friends. So, if that introduction didn't intrigue you, then I don't know what to tell you. You might want to flip to one of my episodes that is more intellectual and focused on the field of counseling or philosophy. But I'm telling you, if you are wondering what the hell is up with men and how do we help them and how do I help myself if I'm a man and I don't know why I do these things and why I react this way, then this episode is for you. And I really think it's going to touch a lot of people. So without further ado, let's get to that interview. Ready, robot? All right, welcoming to the show, uh, we have David Coates and Corey Kil... Jesus Christ. Kilpack. All right, I'm going to start that over. Hold on. I literally want to say Kilpatrick. God damn it. Okay, hold on. Kilpack. I'm going to start that over. Welcoming to the show, we have David Coates and Corey Kilpack, the authors of Be Less Dickish, the definitive self-help book about men. And basically, guys, this is a very interesting book. Um, so far, what I've been reading, I just go on, I want to keep reading it. 
and it's scare it, it's very accurate and and it's uh if you're an american male um it, it kind of scared me like a little bit about how on the nose it was about certain things so i want to get to that but could you both tell me who you are and why you wrote this book uh whoever wants to go first i'll jump in uh David Coates, and I am a marriage and family therapist. I'm a psychotherapist in California. I've been practicing about 18 years. Uh, I wrote the book because I've always been fascinated with profanity, and I was also fascinated with the way that profanity showed up in my practice and how people used it. And, uh, And I thought, like, damn, these words are intense, like asshole or douchebag. And like, what, what can we do with these words? What if we define these words? And they're, they're used in such intense ways. Uh, and there's so much charge. There's so much intensity. And I wanted to do something positive. So I started exploring these words and uh, doing, doing research and like creating a whole system around them. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Um, we'll get right into those words very soon. Uh, Corey. And I was one of Dave's clients using those words <laughs> prolifically in those sessions okay. <laughs> offending dave probably talking about dave's other clients and his neighbors i may have used them to describe dave who knows it's been a long time <laughs> right and you've had uh 45 jobs according to the back of this book yeah you know i've, I've moved around quite a bit so yeah I, I listed everything going all the way back to the the college days so yeah i've worked on a factory trawler i've been an investment banker i was the general partner of a hedge fund and now i'm a founder of a software company so done a lot of things and uh during that time i had a rough spell and had to work a lot of stuff out and landed in dave's office and uh we ended up working on this project probably about five years after I stopped seeing Dave, four or five years, he reached out to me with a manuscript and I was blown away. Like I was really touched by the work that was in there and just dove in with Dave and we fine-tuned it, created these characters and now you have it. Now you're shocked. Yes, I, I was slightly <laughs> shocked. Um, uh, full disclosure, my partner if you want to use correct language or wife uh told me to turn the cover around and so i i while i was reading it i would prop it up in different areas of the house so that she would see the cover which appears to be a male's legs but the the cup the the words of the book are over the genitals so yes uh but she she found that uh particularly for part of her upbringing she's very actually hilarious and brash but like part of her upbringing her initial is uh that's too much right so uh let's talk about that go ahead what's up you don't want to know what's interesting about that cover we had to pay money to get that picture and we didn't just pull that out of the ether we had to buy that and that isn't one of you (laughs) No, (laughs) that is actually the most famous, most photographed penis in the history of the world. That is Michelangelo's David. Oh, it is, is it? I did not realize that. Wow. Okay. And yeah, the irony of it all, right? And that's, uh, and the, the funny part of that is, this is Michelangelo's David, and we we put it on there like it looks censored because of the words. There is nothing less censored than Michelangelo's David, and there it is. Like, had we put it on there and said this is Michelangelo's sculpture, 
we wouldn't have had to put a black box on it. But that's here we a good are. point. We, yeah. That's a good point. That is probably the yeah, that's a quite a famous phallus. Um <laughs> so so yeah. So this book, I mean, we can't we can't uh, get into the book without talking about the crisis of men's mental health that's been going on in the United States for I don't know, maybe since before I was born, but especially pronounced uh, in the last mm, 20 years and getting increasingly worse with young men uh, who are finding themselves uh, with uh, feeling like they don't have much of a purpose. Um, they're not sure what to do about uh, masculinity. They're not sure what to do about you know career. They're not sure what kind of relationships they want. They don't know that there's different difficulties with emotions they have uh, some very uh, unfortunate examples uh, to follow uh, and thus uh, you know you could see the crisis of men's mental health playing out all over um, the news in the U.S. and in the conversations we're having in classrooms and in the psychotherapy rooms um comments about that is this is this part of why you wrote this book or was this just go ahead yeah i mean i I see a lot i've seen a lot of men in my practice and what we didn't want to write like a flowery self-help book and a lot of what we lay out is like traps that men fall into like extreme behaviors that men will spin out into and so and we've given them names like asshole dick douchebag and uh the one we'll probably talk about later (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> the so, final one well so, i like yeah go ahead yeah so like when men aren't supported in being who they are and in, in, in a process of self-discovery uh, you know they're going to tend to fall into these sort of strategic orientations right and so if they fall into the strategic or- orientation they're not really being who they are and in those extremes we're saying it's befitting of the word asshole for example so we're going to define these extreme archetypes as a way for men to see like where they where they go when they're triggered. Like when they're triggered at work with a partner, they're going to tend to habitually move in one of these directions. So we're saying, hey, let's look at what you do when you're triggered. And let's look at extreme behavior. And through exploring extreme behavior, you can see your own behavior. And. Paul, too, one of the things we focused on and we worked hard on, it took us many hours to get through this, is answering these questions like, what are you really saying? And what is just a metaphor? And and one of the simple processes that we started in this that kicked this book off to a whole new level was asking the question, what is the difference between a dick and an asshole? Like, it seems like such a simple thing and it's thrown around where people use these words and they don't really understand what they're saying. And it's almost like as long as I can call it something bad, I don't really have to identify what it really is. I've just said it's bad and we're stopping there. And what I was pushing Dave for is that clarity to skip, even though we're using these words, to get to a point where like, Let's define what the behavior is without just using a metaphor. And and your question, it, it almost triggers me. Like, we're going to talk about triggers, but it's like when you use the terms toxic masculinity or you look at these 
um, experiences for men and boys and their partners and their moms and everyone around them in terms of you're part of this generation or that generation. We try to look at men. What was the boomer generation or the greatest generation like compared to Z, Y, X and these others? I'm like, no, we're, we, we can't do it anymore. We're just stereotyping again. And, and I kept telling Dave, like, we've got to get this down to where we can tell and show people what it looks like when you make a selfish decision and hurt someone compared to making a selfless decision that also hurts someone. <laughs> and, and it was a, that was a tough process to try and also describe it without saying it's just toxic or it's just systemic within a generation or an age, or that it's new. It's not new. And that's why we also picked the archetype word. It's like, this goes back way before these generations. Yeah, I like that because I think that, um, I can't remember what the word is called, but when you just say, oh, it's toxic, or oh, it's a boomer, or, oh, it's a Gen X typical, or oh, it's a millennial, mm-hmm. that's dismissing the conversation, and it's it's taking it away from any sort of further discussion. Yep. And I don't remember what that word is that shortens everything and stops the discussion, but essentially, um, that's what we see in the media, and that's and unfortunately, that's I'm I'm hearing that, you know dialogue. And so uh, because of, you know, the crisis we're facing, I think that there's also a backlash toward men and uh, because of other men's behaviors. So we have to figure out how do we break into a deeper conversation. And I do think uh, going into the archetypes of what's really going on for men here, and this book is written for anybody really, but for men, especially to kind of, to say like, this is not a flowery self-help book, feel good, you know, 10 easy steps. And I like that because I feel like it got really real, real quick um, because (laughs) I could identify um, when I was reading the archetypes, for instance, uh, the asshole one, I I could say, oh, I could see myself doing that at certain points in my life. When I was really mad, I kind of acted like this, you know, and uh, all of the archetypes, which we'll get into, I, I could see myself like doing these things when I was extremely upset. And I think that you guys nailed because um obviously your examples of the characters like each 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 one has a character um associated he's obviously the most extreme example you know that you could think of but there are males like this i've met males that are the walking archetype especially the dick you know where he (laughs) where where he's just like everything's the world's fault and so then he's he he has like a carte blanche to be a Ask he get to be a dick to everybody. He's just yeah. mean. He's cutting people off. He's saying F this, F that. He won't tell you what he really thinks. He's like a storm cloud walking around. Nobody wants to be around him. Um, he's manipulative, but pretends he's not. Uh, you know, nothing's his fault. Uh, if he ever acts out, it's somebody else's fault, it's the world's fault, it's the environment's fault. Um, and so I mean, you see this playing out, right? But how yeah. do you we have all these clinical words for it, right? Um, but how do you break through to people that are who who are not wanting to talk a bunch of clinical, proper PC content? And I think that you had to take the risk of the publishing industry and other people canceling you to uh, 
to go yeah. here. And I, and to be honest, it d- took me a few minutes. I, I was like taken aback. I was like, these guys are either really brilliant or I need to burn this book. I'm not sure yet. Right. Because when I, yeah. when I received it, I was like, cause I almost thought like, is this the archetype of the machismo man writing a self-help book for a second? I thought before I read it, right. This is my impression. <laughs> Like, listen, you little dicks. This is what you got to do to be a real man. I'm Joe, whatever my name is, on the podcast, you know, anyway. But it wasn't that at all. It was appealing because we can all identify, any any man I know can identify with with acting like one of these archetypes. So one of the things I'd love to do is kind of, I don't want to give away the whole book because I really think people should buy this book, okay? Gas is $8 a gallon. Just buy the book, okay? (laughs) It's like $14 or something. It'll yeah. last longer than your tank of gas to go get your Arby's. Okay. Just buy the book. Um, and, uh, you know, let's go over the archetypes, but we, I don't want to give away the fixes. Your, your, uh, your whole half of the book seems to be about, uh, trauma and coping, uh, n- not coping, but like figuring out how to get out of these sort of traps. Um, so are we cool going through some of the archetypes? Let's do it. All right. So well, let's start with the asshole since that's the order of things. Uh, so uh, David or Corey, do you want to talk a little bit about the asshole? I'm going to take this one, Dave. You ready? Oh, yeah. You're up. So the asshole, like to put it bluntly, doesn't give a shit and he hurts people. And the core characteristics of this uh, orientation or this person or this behavior is that when things happen, the priority for the asshole is himself. Like he is focused on him. He is concerned about him. You can't say he doesn't care because he cares about him. He is just shameless or unaware of the consequences of what he's going to do to other people and how they're going to feel about it and how much they're going to care. And he may get a charge off their reaction if it helps him, or he may not even know. But the what you see in an asshole is someone whose priority to is to get his and get it his way and to not care about the consequences, even his reputation, if it's not relevant at that time, and to take care of himself. And in the extreme, the asshole is aggressive. Like he will go out of his way to hurt people. He will spend money to hurt people. He will build a life around hurting people. That's the extreme. In less extreme forms, this is just a very assertive person. Like he is direct. He's on a ride. He's going in direction. And he's not looking around and making excuses for it. So when you look at the the extreme parts of this, yes, it makes you scared. It should. It's supposed to. He's trying to scare people. That's the intent. Um, And you look at it more dialed in and in control. This is a person who is driven to get stuff done. So there's an attraction to these guys. Now, let's talk about the character, Jonah. Oh yeah. What was your reaction to Jonah, Paul? Oh man, I I've seen this guy, you know. Yeah. His name wasn't Jonah, but I've I met this guy, you know, selfish, like you said aggressive. Um the character just made so much sense. Like he can't get enough. Nothing satisfies him. He he uh, his emotional release seems to be through 
like you said, power exchanges where he puts another male down or he cheats on his wife and yeah. is is getting his um you know some of his power through sex and domination. Um and he's just he seems to be angry all the time. Uh, but we're not really sure at what. Uh, uh, uh so my reaction was this guy's walking around everywhere. I've you know, there's like two dozen yeah. of these guys in the bar on Friday night that when you walk in. So yeah, I yeah. don't know. I think that you look at a character like Jonah, who's the prominent asshole character in the book. I think that's true. Like you, no one looks at this guy and thinks this is outrageous. They look at this guy and think, ah, like he's just like someone I know. And, and this is what, and you know, Dave is better describing this as we get into these details of these characters, but there's something I always challenge people with. And we'll go through this. We get to the other characters too, is, as many times as you say, I know someone like Jonah, or I've acted like Jonah, or there's a million Jonas around me, and I, some of them I know and some of them I don't, almost to a rule, we can ask someone, do you know someone like Jonah that you actually loved? You may wish they were different. You may, like, maybe it was your grandfather. Maybe it was your uncle. He was an asshole, but man, he, you couldn't wait to see him again. Like there, there's always some connection to an asshole in our lives. And we're like, yeah, we know someone like that. We wish they hadn't gone off the rails, but we all seem to also have some real core connection to someone like that. Wouldn't you agree, Dave? Yeah, these are, these are people we know. These are people we're related to. And these are people that have a big impact on us. So it's personal, right? It's not an abstract character. Like we really do our best to like bring him, bring him to you and you know him. Oh yeah. He, well, he's, um, you know, people are attracted to this directness, right? He's, yeah. he's obviously successful in the book as a uh, contractor, I think building different, being in charge of different construction projects. And uh, yeah, most people wish they gave fewer fucks. Right. right. So he, he's shameless. So he's able to take what he wants and he's not, he's not worried about his impact on other people. Whereas most people were overly conscientious. Oh, I want what I want, but I don't want it to upset anybody. Right. right. Or I want what I want, but, Oh, you don't want to give it to me. And so I don't really want it. So like he comes in and represents just kind of raw desire. I want what I want. And I'm not even aware of how it's impacting you. And Honestly, men tend, men, most men need more of that. Like they don't, we don't want men to be aggressive about it, but all these archetypes have gifts. So the asshole's gift, which Corey was hinting at is like, he's assertive. There is a time to say, I'm going to fucking do this for me. And I don't care what anybody thinks because I need to do it. And like men like that, who can claim that for themselves, they tend to be more vital as fathers. They tend to be more vital as men. There's a time not to give a shit what other people think. Now, if you're only ever not giving a shit what other people think and acting selfishly, you're in trouble, right? That's, you, you, you're stuck in that one quadrant. That's not a man that we need. But yep. men need to get that they have the right to say, I'm doing this for me, and it doesn't matter how it affects other people sometimes. Yeah, I like how you're bringing out the positive because um, that's actually a good way to, to, uh, to go around the archetype. So the, the extreme archetype, in the asshole 
and this is interesting because he he's so self selfish and he's so shameless that yeah. he he won't stop until something major nails him like he won't yeah. stop until his wife leaves him until he gets corruption charges whatever it might be and we've all known people or we've all gone through a micro version of that where but it is important for men, men to be assertive the issue here is that in the archetype he's extreme to the point of um emotional abuse essentially upon other and people and destruction he's destructive yeah he's destructive right um and i, I liked how he the, the the therapist was talking in here he curses his employees they should kiss the ground i walk on his subcontractors his cleaners architects clients lawyers and neighbors all come in for a jab or two the Middle East, the governor, the gardener, drivers, cell phone providers. If he can't personally fire someone or get them fired, he wants to make their life hell or their job impossible. He mocks my <laughs> profession, ridicules the art on my walls, and asks how a real man could listen to people complain all day about erectile dysfunction and their problems with hoarding. I thought that was hilarious because it almost sounds like this guy talking. Like, can you believe these people? Can you believe it? You know, and just like, I'm like, God, I've had conversations with this guy, right? And we've all been, I think, I think at some point, if you want to be authentic, I remember a time in my life where I was like trying to be more assertive. And I think my experiment went a little awry for about six months or a year. And I became a bit more assertive than I probably, a, a bit more neglectful of people's feelings uh, than was good. And there was consequences for that. Yeah. Um, and I think that is how, that is how this book speaks to you because it has this cool, it's not a textbook. You know, it's not like, well, this is what happens. And this is, it's a no. story of this guy and then how he gets into therapy and what happens to him, but it's short and sweet. And there's some highlighted points. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really character driven. Yeah. I want to yeah. get to you, the piece that you just read. There's a quote, there's a line in there. We worked on that section so much. There is a line in there that really sets off the asshole in a distinct way, describes him in a distinct way compared to the dick who's just complaining about all these things. Right. And that is the line that says if he couldn't personally fire them or make their life hell or whatever the words were, that's the key yes. part of that rant is he looks at this and says, all right, that's bothering me. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to deal with it. And I don't care if I fire this person and they can't buy milk or $9 gas. I don't give a fuck. Like if he can't fix it, it's either not relevant to him or he's going to bitch and moan and move on. Like he's not really worried about peace in the Middle East. He's worried about whether he can break something and to change the things that are bothering him. And that's the difference between the asshole in the dick is that factor of, Hey, he, he'll just fire the person. He'll just crush him. He just hurt him and it won't phase him. It doesn't phase him at all to do it. So somebody, uh, yesterday, the other day, somebody described to me their uncle that they really liked, but that was kind of a, was a total, uh, dick and or a total asshole. Excuse me. This is the asshole. And they said, <laughs> they said to me, this is the quote. And I don't, I don't even know. This is like a friend of mine. They said, well, he was, you know, kind of an asshole. And they said he couldn't understand mental health. Why would you ever want to save somebody from killing themselves? If they want to kill themselves, I'm going to be the first one to give them the rope. That's his quote. And I'm like, right. oh my God. Okay, right. Yeah. Like the empathy yeah. is down there. You know what? More for me. 
get out of my way. You're yeah. you're you're taking up space in the economy. I go go at it. Jump off the bridge, right? Like that was that was this uncle's quote, and they said they just couldn't understand how they could ever be a therapist and like care about people that want to die. And I was like, wow. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, that's a that's a good lead in because the yeah the dick distinction is like the dick is also selfish. He's also concerned about himself and his experience, but yeah. whereas the asshole is shameless, the dick is conscientious. He's very aware of you and what you're thinking and what you're feeling, right? The asshole is oblivious to you and what you're thinking and feeling. The dick is very aware of what you're thinking and feeling, but only insofar as it affects him. Mm-hmm. Only in, insofar as it affects him and he's a victim of what you're thinking or feeling. So he may say, you know, his girlfriend walks in and he can tell she's in a bad mood. And his first thought is like, great. She's in a bad mood. Now, what do I have to fucking deal with tonight? Now, this is on my plate on top of everything else. So he's aware of others, but only in so far as he's affected. And we all know guys like this. And he's the victim of other people and what they think and feel because it affects him. Yeah, Dave, the example I would give right here is Paul, this uncle example. The asshole saying, like, here's a gun, here's a rope, here's whatever it is you need, like, get out of my way, like, you're dead weight. And the dick is looking at his watch and saying, ah, shit, do I have to go to the funeral? Like, look, I have to change my whole schedule now because this guy killed himself, and now I'm going to miss the game. I had tickets. Like, this guy goes off and kills himself, and now I got to rearrange my whole weekend. That's the difference between the asshole and the dick. He's affecting me, the prick. Yep. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I, I, God, at the risk of revealing who these people are, um, <laughs> I've known a, a real great dick in my life, and literally, this this was this was part of the discussion, which was some some major family catastrophe happened, and they would not stop ranting about how this affected them going to this concert. Literally. And they they just couldn't believe it. And I'm sitting here going, are you hearing yourself? But I mean, at the same time, we've all been a micro version of this, right? Where it's like, um, you know, we've got our plans, our expectations for vacation. And then, I don't know, the weather happens. And we're a a victim of the weather. And all we do is then piss, piss and moan our whole vacation away because it's cloudy and rainy in the tropics and then instead of having a good time with your significant other right. or your friends you're like i can't believe we didn't get to go parasailing this is such bullshit it rains in the tropics i can't believe it yeah. I, I, wore, I brought t-shirts and i had to get a buy a jacket from the gift store Ugh. you know like it, that sort of it, thing and it and on a on a micro level like i do a ton of couples therapy this is what couples therapy is a lot of like he does this and he shouldn't do this because I feel like this when he says this, like couples fight about, hey, what you're doing is making me feel a certain way. I'm a victim of what you're doing. And because you're doing this to me, I can do whatever the fuck I want to do with you. And that's the ultimate dick position. Like, yeah, I, I raised my voice at you and like fucking called you a bitch. But like, look what you did to me yesterday. It always comes back to that. Look what you did to me. Whatever I did to you is because of what you did to me. So I'm justified. That's classic yeah. dick positioning. And so we're basically in a Middle East conflict for infinity, 
you know, you did this, you escalated on me, I'm going to escalate on you. You're going to escalate on me, I'm going to escalate on you. And right. and it's justified, it's rationalized uh, behavior. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but the difference is the Middle East actually has oil. In this dick conversation, you're fighting over just bullshit feelings <laughs> and interpretations, and there is no goddamn oil. That's true. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> right. Well, and, and you're ruining the oil because let's just go further with the me metaphor. If you're in a relationship, you have to both work at it. You have yeah, to yeah. both work at it to refine the resources and have a good time and have a like a happy life and a happy atmosphere in your home. But if you're constantly like, that's it, seventh inning yesterday, you didn't put the dishes in the way I wanted, and now I'm justified at drinking this fifth of Jack and getting angry and going in the garage yeah. and yelling, and then you want to say that I, I'm acting out? Well, fuck you, because you messed up the dishes. Like, that. that's the position, right? It's That's it's, it. And so selfish, the, the but yet... The yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the call for the dick is like, hey, we're responsible for the way we feel. And all, you know, so many people want to make others responsible for the way they feel and then they're justified in their reactivity. We're saying be less dickish, do less of that. Incrementally, notice ways that you want to be a fucking dick or an asshole because someone did you wrong. And just notice that. Notice when you get pulled into that because we all get pulled into this when somebody does something that hurts us hurts our feelings oh it's yeah very seductive this one it's can like i go on a rant dave do i have your permission as the therapist <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to hurt your feelings you guys are professionals i'm just a long-haired oh. fellow <laughs> but hey you guys are talking about this like we've all been there at a micro level and what Dave's describing and you guys you're pointing out too and you brought it up early with the the uh, generations and other terms like toxic masculinity is that we're all experiencing this at a macro level we're experiencing this in an institutional level at an ideological level and this is to me one of the reasons we kept this name of the book it was Dave's original name when i saw the manuscript and it had to stay because this is the most atoxic. They're not anyone's worse than the other. But this one is exploited at a macro and institutional level in the present conversations more than any others, where we're saying, oh, all men are toxic and we're all victims of all men. All men and all races, except for this one, are racist. And we're all victims of what that race did going back forever. And there's all these conversations happening all the time that are always in the context of I'm a victim or this group is a victim and I belong to it um, because of what other people are doing. And so this logic that you're talking about at a micro level is being conditioned every day, nonstop. And it's gotten to the point where we have to accept that logic to belong to the goddamn club. <laughs> and so when Dave points this out to people at a professional level, like this is you describing your feelings and your reaction to what someone else did, you're not even describing your own reaction to your own experience. You're just making up this, like you did it to me, blaming, shaming, everything else. It's like, yeah, that's breakfast in America. That's what you get. Like, <laughs> here we are. So there's my rant. I'll turn yeah. the rant off. 
No, that 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 makes a lot of sense. It's it's getting to that point because it's it's again it subverts discussion and it yeah. it uh it inflames people that hear segments of this, right? So it escalates people that are in the group being attacked. Um yeah. and, and as uh white males all sitting here on our Zooms, um, you know, our group yeah bears a lot of blame for things in the past and now or whatever but we're we're not a group we're all individual people how do we how do we have a discussion about you know deeper than just he's a white male so he did this and he has pr- yeah. you know like how do we how do we get deeper and also acknowledge yes these things happened because what's happening i'm seeing is it's driving uh, some of this dialogue is driving uh, reactionary anger because the men, some men feel they feel personally attacked. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I'm just a plumber from Cleveland. I didn't do any of this crap. I'm just trying to keep my family afloat here. And it gets them more and more and more angry, right? Mm-hmm. And and that and, and when and when you can't win an argument, you start insulting somebody. And mm-hmm. when you can't and when you can't win by insulting, then you resort to violence. And so I think we're seeing more of that on a very strange, twisted way because it doesn't, I mean, it does happen in the day-to-day, like at jobs and workplaces, right? People become violent, you know, in relationships. But I, I we're seeing this sort of unhinged anger uh, at at different groups and, and people that represent those groups, both on all sides, because yeah. of the dialogue you're do- talking about that's in the media, that's in social media, that, that can somewhat be constructive right like we need to criticize things and change things and be and and make progress at the same time it can also be destructive like people will say well now you're just acting like the oppressor right you're you're going so far that it's it's not you like where's the middle ground here where's (laughs) how can we have a discussion essentially is what i'm saying yeah it's it's feels like it's more polarized than ever and the more polarized things get the harder it is the conversation to have a conversation. And this book says, we're not political in this book. We don't take a side. We say, what is the experience you're actually having in these circumstances when you're triggered? Stop thinking about who said what or who's right and who's wrong. Just like come back to your experience. Please come back to your experience. Don't go into abstraction. You can't get anywhere when you're in abstraction. What are you actually experiencing and where do you spin out towards? We want the reader to get really curious about that first. And yeah, not absolutely. That we need to end, you know, that we need to end racism, whatever that would mean, before I'm going to feel okay. Right. right? Like that, we stop living in that framework and start living closer to ourselves. And that's really important because, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, Carl Jung and other people said, you know, we've got to do our inner work or else the world is just going to go to hell essentially that's not a quote that's a that's a summary of what they said and and i see that because um it's difficult to enforce but on an individual level if people work on themselves right and and work on where they're at and then their relationships and in their company and in their group and in their family the things on a larger level will get quote unquote better whatever that means right maybe more peaceful yeah. less polar polarity we 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 get along better but if we, and this is something I see as well, uh, which we, this is a whole other discussion. I want to get to two other archetypes, but people, um, I think, I think Carl Jung said the best political and social work you can ever do is to withdraw your shadow from others. 
right? And so when I'm dealing with something in my life that is, you know, especially young people in their 20s and teens, um, but I'm afraid to deal with it. And so then I project that onto some sort of uh, news item, political item, social item, somebody else, uh, other groups, other people at my school, and I'm not dealing with it. I'm, I'm projecting it. And that can lead to a lot of confusion because we're not going inside and figuring out what's going on with us and how we can overcome this obstacle or this this issue. So, um, and once that happens, the only logical move is to blame something someone else. Like if it's out of your control because it's so big and you're a taker of the circumstances, the the only logical interpretation is that you're a victim of those circumstances. So. It, you're right. You when you start framing this in, everything is happening that's too big for me to affect. It's outside of my control, and you're not looking at what's happening inside this epidermis. Like you're done. You're just blowing in the wind, blaming other people. Right, and it's it's difficult. So I think that actually, I've I've talked or, to people about. Go ahead, Dave. Well, like as a segue, like or you become you know, you become what we call a pussy in the book. And we, I want to say something about that word because it's a really charged word. And it's a word that we thought about not using, but we just couldn't have any integrity with ourselves if we didn't use the word because that is the word that men use to describe a certain kind of deferential, submissive, kind of cowardly man. So we use the word that is the actual word and it's not the ideal word because it's got so many connotations in relationship to the feminine, but we used it and we own it. And so that man, he is selfless. He's not, he's not in touch with his desire, his vitality, and he's very aware of what other people think and feel. So if you think about that combination, he's selfless and he's conscientious of others. This is a man that's not really occupying his own space. He's not taking up space. And I think a lot of men are in that position now with the backlash towards men where, you know, the dick is going to be a victim and put bitch and moan and the pussy is just going to feel kind of responsible and that he should just be quiet and be deferential. So he's the submissive, disempowered man. And he is everywhere. You can see this man on the street with kind of the hollowed out eyes and the stoop posture, just like he's, he's defeated. Yes. Um, I think this one speaks to a lot of <clears throat> males. I definitely went through a phase where I felt this way, where I was just uh, deferring because I, I think it was probably a reaction is that I didn't like the machismo, over the top, hyper masculine, mm-hmm. get out of my way thing I was noticing. And so I would just be like, whatever, whatever makes you happy. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. Whatever makes you happy. And, and what happens is then we, we, aren't really a person. We're not really saying what we think and we can build up resentment or other uh, and not have uh, clear, authentic relationships. I remember Jack Cornfield, uh, if you know who he is, he's a Buddhist teacher and he talked about this in one of his lectures. He used different words because uh, he's Jack Cornfield. <laughs> but <Go pay. laughs> he, uh, he said that his first wife, he was in Boston. He'd just gotten back from this retreat, uh, like a six-month you know, retreat because he's becoming a Buddhist monk. And Buddhists, you, know, you want to be able to see things go by. Every, life is suffering. You know, this is a very don't, – don't, don't send emails. I know what Buddhism 
is I've read the books, but this is just what Jack was interpreting in his young <laughs> years uh, was that he needed to like defer and be peaceful at all times. And so his wife would say to him, do you want to go to the Italian restaurant? Do you want to go to the Mexican restaurant? Do you want to go to the American bistro? And he goes, I, everything's okay. All food <laughs> is the same. We all come from the same place. We all eat and then we digest and then we, you know, take a nap and I'm okay with whatever you want to do. And she would just go crazy at him. Damn it, Jack, tell me where you want to eat. And he would be like, I just want to make you happy wherever you want to eat. She's like, I'm not happy because you're not telling me where you want to eat because she wanted to have a relationship. She wanted to have an exchange. Oh, and he had taken his meditation to the extreme where he wasn't yeah. engaging and asserting himself in any way. And he actually divorced. <laughs> they got divorced. And then he met his partner who he's with right now and founded the, the Institute. But, uh, you know, this reminded me, you know, reminded me of myself in some ways when I was younger and just like, you know, you you think you're you're doing the right thing by not causing trouble, by by kind of being meek and yeah. um, yes. mild. Uh, everything's fine, you know. I I got a good job. Um, you know, some people like me. I've got a good I've got a reputation. I don't want to I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to be a burden. Um, what do you want to do for your birthday? I don't know. Whatever you want, and so. <laughs> <laughs> the issue is that you're not being vulnerable and that's, is that, am I right about that? Yes. 100%. You're not being, you're not being, you're selfless, but you're in, you're too conscientious. You're submissive. You're not being vulnerable and going, Hey, you know what? When you said that, that hurt my feelings. Right. Yeah. And that's a big one in relationships. If you're in a relationship with somebody, uh, they don't want you just to say, I'm happy all the time. I'm just meditating here. I just love you so much. You're just the best. And they're like, I just, didn't do anything you asked me to do. I, I I didn't help you do any chores. And now you're telling me I'm the best. I think that's bullshit. I fa failed you or something. You know what I mean? Like they want, people want a relationship with somebody and to have a relationship, you have to have opinions and you have to have feelings and you have to say them. Right. So that's what I, what I, what I uh, kind of took from this. I, I want to see what your, your takes on it are, but uh, I feel like it's like, it's like good intentions, right? That this guy, he's got the best intentions all the time to be the nice guy. Yeah. And, and how many nice guys have I got in my therapy room? All the girls like the biker guys and the douchebags, but the and the frat guys. But I'm the artist. I'm peaceful. <laughs> I wear linens. I listen to the Grateful Dead. I like Tori Amos, and you know I can't get a date. And I, you know, I paint my pottery and I, you know, nothing wrong with any of these things, but it's like, I'm, I'm over, I, I, I'm just trying to be harmless too much. And then they can't get a date. And they're like, why do they always date the mean guys? And I'm always the friend. I'm in the friend zone, you know, you know, so, so the, the character that we use to describe all this in the book is George. And I've been asked by many people named George now, a couple of them, uh -oh. I shouldn't say many, to change that name. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but George it is. So tell me, Paul, like we talked about this with the asshole. When you were reading about George, you got through these vignettes and you saw him in these different scenarios. 
what was your reaction to him as a person, as a character? If you knew him personally, like, what does he make you feel like as you're going through the book? Well, I'd be very annoyed, George. I'd be very annoyed at George because if I'm asking George a question, he only cares about my response. He doesn't care about what he thinks. He's trying to make, he's trying to do something like people please me or get my approval or uh, make sure he doesn't make waves. And so I don't really know George. I'm annoyed at George. I don't really know what he thinks. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure who he is. He seems sort of like a a, a, uh, a wayfish enigma, you know, like he's kind of like a a, a seed floating in the wind. I, I I don't know him. And I'm, I'm also annoyed at him. I, I want, I like that he wants to make peace, but he's made too much peace. <laughs> You know, I like I like peaceful this people. Is, this is great. But it, you want to feel you want to feel the guy, right? Yeah, like I want to know him. Hit the the tennis ball back and forth with you, and a, a pussy in the extreme. He refuses to do that, and then you're left with the burden of the of the connection. It's on you, right? Like he leaves it all on the other person, and that's why you know women who are, are with men who fall into this archetype, they're like. God, he drives me crazy. I, he doesn't ever push back. He doesn't bring himself forward. I, I can't, you know, and, and it, it's kind of death by a thousand paper cuts being with this guy. And he slowly saps the vitality out of the relationship because there's no there there with him because he won't risk anything. He's hiding. He's not connecting. He's not being vulnerable. Yeah, I, I go ahead. I'm looking for the page where Kayla has her thoughts about him. Uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, like keep looking, scrambling through there. That writing this, and we've talked about this many times too, was really tough for me. And um, it, because I had a reaction similar to yours, Paul, going through and creating this character and discovering this character with Dave and trying to picture what this was like in the, as we're presenting him in all these different scenarios, including getting inside his own head in these therapy sessions. But what we show and what we found as we explore and learn more about George is that he's having the same fucking hopeless experience with strangers while he's driving his car with customers at the bank with subordinates at the bank with his fiance. Like there's no intimate relationship. There's no anonymous relationship. There's no contractual relationship. There's not even just your everyday run in with a damn cop or anything where he doesn't take this position of, I'll give you what you want. I'll feel better when you have what you want and you're in control to the point where you're just like, who the fuck is this guy? And yet he doesn't do anything to offend you. He only does things to make it your way. It is a puzzling, disturbing puzzle that you can't solve when you're living and experiencing George. You're just left wondering, am I going crazy? Yeah. And in George's world, right, because it's strategic. I'm the only way he can self-regulate is if you're okay with him. So I'll be whoever I need to be. So you're okay with me. And then if you're okay with me, then I can feel okay. But I don't know how to feel okay just on my own. And, and we all do this. Sometimes we all, when someone we love is upset with us, it's very uncomfortable and we just want them to be okay with us. So we'll act selflessly. We'll act conscientiously. There is a time and a place to be in this quadrant. There is a time and a place to be here. But when it's habitual, like Corey said, it's impossible. It's maddening. 
Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a time and a place and even, you know, you can be here daily to a point where you, you don't, you know, you want to balance, you know, what is it? What is my, what is my friend or partner need for me? But you can't yeah. do that for two hours in a row. It's like, it's right. a give and take. You have to come in and out of it. I, I wanted to, before we go to the positives and go to the next archetype, I wanted to just read what his uh, wife was saying about him. Uh, the waiter comes by with chips and salsa. This is George. Kayla, why don't you order something for both of us and we'll share? George asks, his head in his hands, not even bothering to glance at the menu. Kayla sighs loud enough for George to hear and asks for a margarita. She catches George watching her. She does love him. He's so devoted, she thinks. I know he'd never leave or do anything to hurt me. I can count on George to be, well, George, and he's super cute. Kayla remembers the contractor visit. Oh, hey, where are we with the mold situation at the house? How did it go today? Oh, God, George thinks. Well, I, I met him. I showed him the bathroom uh, where he thinks uh, there's some black mold. He um, shined the light in there and said that there was. Uh, he needed, uh, what was the word? Remediation, I think. Uh, I don't know exactly what he meant, and I don't know what to ask him. He seemed really busy, and I didn't want to ask too much. I just figured that, well, you could call him and talk to him about it. You're so good at handling stuff like this. Kayla, shaking her head, quickly orders another margarita. Okay. So, like, I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. It, it's just, like, it's such an archetype. It, you know, it's an extreme, but we've all been there, I think, at some point. Yeah. Quickly orders another margarita. Yeah. She's, she's, she's drowning herself and going home with this cute guy who has no opinions, you know? Is... And, and if you keep reading, he, he takes a sip of a margarita, but he's careful to do it on the place where she's already removed the salt with her lips because he oh, wouldn't want to yes. remove any of the salt from her glass. I, I did read that part. I laughed at that part. I just was... I would keep uh, reading. Yeah. What side of the glass should I sip from? Just you, sip from the glass anyway. Gosh, yeah. when I hear other people read that with the inflections, I just crack up. It's just, <laughs> you just see this guy and there's no reason not to like him, but it's maddening. Like you can't help but like George. He is by far the most likable character in the book. And if you had to pick any of these characters as a neighbor, you would pick George. Totally. Hands down, you would pick George. No question about it. Like, you'd rather live next to George than Jonah. That's for damn sure. You'd rather live next to George than Eric. That's for sure. So, it like, he's the guy that you want to like him. And he drives you crazy. Crazy. And he does not have any bad intentions in doing it. Yeah. So that, that yeah. was a fun one to write. I'll tell you, it, it, it was challenging, yeah. <laughs> challenging, very interesting, right? Yeah. I like it. Um, I want to let you uh, talk about the other, the fourth archetype in the sort of compass you've developed um, in the system, uh, the douchebag. Can we talk about the douchebag? Yeah, are you doing if you're doing a video recording of this, hold that chart up. Oh, yeah, I actually book. don't use the video. I actually oh, only damn. use All right. The, well, the, the chart's available yeah. on the website. Yeah, so they okay. can see it there. And uh, yeah, so sorry. Yeah, there'll be website links, there'll be everything people okay. want to get to, but yeah. No. Yeah, so of all the of of all the types, there's something about the douchebag that everyone has kind of a visceral knowing of. And 
So in our model, the douchebag, he's the imitator. He's not being himself. He is shamelessly and enthusiastically portraying an image of, of someone he'd like to be, right? So there's no there there with the douchebag. So in that way, he's selfless. You can't feel his authentic self. He's just in the character and he's shameless about it. He is shamelessly promoting that this is who I am and this is what I'm about and it's fucking awesome. And you're like, what? Because there, there, there's such an incongruence between your sense of him and how he's presenting himself. So th- this is our douchebag. He's the imitator. And he's also everywhere. And like, you know, corporations, for example, love this archetype because they're selfless. They're going to promote like, yeah, I work for Google. Google's the best. They're going to shamelessly promote the brand. And it's they're called alphabet. It's alphabet. Alpha. Oh, <laughs> I'm so ashamed. Get on the board. Um, get on the team. <laughs> so this guy, he has he's not interested in who he really is. He's just interested in who he wants you to believe him to be. Yeah. And Corey, why don't was, you add on to that? Oh, me or Corey? Well, let's give Corey another shot. So, yeah, go, yeah, I'll go Corey. around to get you, Paul, here, and I'm going to catch you off. But we've started with this asshole who is selfish and shameless. And what he had in common with the dick was they were both shameless or, or they were, excuse me, they were both selfish. One was shameless and the other one was hyper conscientious. They were both looking out for their own self, but one didn't care what everyone thought. And the other one cared uh, too much. And what the dick had in common with the pussy was that they both care too much, but one is all about me and the other one is giving it all away. And now we're down here trying to see, like, where does the the douchebag fit? And what he has in common with the pussy is that they have abandoned or given up themselves as the priority. And the douchebag has done it shamelessly. Like, I don't care what you, you, like, I I don't give a damn what the consequences are. I'm going to give myself away for this act, this image, this character, this costume. And the authentic self is gone. Like it is gone where the, the pussy is like, I will do this for you. I will do this for you. And I care so much. The douchebags over there on the side saying like, yeah, that, that me. And this is where I wanted, I could do another hour and a half with you guys about trauma is that real authentic me, the one who got hurt, the one who had to struggle, the one who didn't have to struggle, the one who had a perfect life, the one who didn't have a perfect life, Whatever that is, fuck it. That person is gone. I'm looking over here now. I'm this guy with these cool clothes or these cool shoes or this cool act or this cool job. But the hurt kid, the achieving kid, the the, the ambitious kid that was authentic to them, it doesn't have to be traumatic. It doesn't have to be abusive. That is gone. And you are looking at a goddamn act that's it and it is a really really good act and there is a lot of rewards in the world today for putting on that act it is not just a coping mechanism it is a survival tool and it pays and it pays big so we see it a lot we reward this behavior a lot. And like Dave is saying, now we have corporations and institutions saying, 
we can help you with your act. We got the shit. We got the solution. We can make your act even better. And the cycle continues. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And I mean, just your some of your examples, the Sigma Alpha Epsilon douchebag, the New York (laughs) Yankees douchebag, the triathlon douchebag. I'm going to add a few of my own. The Tesla douchebag, the CrossFit douchebag, the Burning Man douchebag, the conservative or liberal douchebag, the vegan douchebag. Uh, I would go to like uh, the outdoor grilling douchebag, the jogging douchebag, the foodie douchebag, the Yelp douchebag. Uh, you know, uh, the, the person who tries to sell you stupid MLM chocolates, douchebag, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, like the super religious douchebag, uh, it it just goes on and on. And so it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm giving up my true identity to identify heavily with something that I think is going to get me maybe something or, 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 or I'm not exactly sure, but I, I, you see this all over the place and we've all done this, but it's like, part of me feels like it's sort of to fit in. I don't know if that's true mm-hmm. on your way, but like I, I lived in Chicago for a while and there's this team called the Chicago Cubs. You might've heard of them and they're a baseball team, but they're not yeah. a baseball team. They're a cult. It's a cult. <laughs> and it's really easy to join the cult. I've been in the cult. It's very fun. And, and all you have to do is wear a hat or a blue shirt. And you're immediately accepted by millions of people and they will high five you. They will love you. You will go to their hot dog store. You will drink old style beer and you are a part of the family. And if you live in Chicago and you don't like the Cubs, you better like the White Sox or just get out of the way because, you know, but like it's a whole thing and it's it's a cultural movement. And it's it's kind of like I feel like these corporations got real smart and all these MLMs because they're like, you know what? religion's killing it tax free uh, you know but they they got this guilt message they're guilting you into giving 10% of your income away what if we make it a fun party and you just buy all our swag do all our stuff subscribe to our newsletter and instead of religion it's like something fun that you don't have to be shamed you don't have to be ashamed about you know yeah. i have a tesla i'm saving the environment and i'm cool right you yeah. know i i i I root for the Cubs. Well, why? You're from Florida because it's the Cubs. You know, you know, it, it, it's 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 like giving up your identity. But if you identify so, and I've I've you know I've been here, but I've also been among people that it's like there's so much about one thing. I don't even know who they are either. I don't know who they are. Just like just like I don't know who George is. I don't know who they are. It's just like everything's about these two or three things that they do. Right? I'm an EDM yep. fan. It's a, a means electronic dance music i'm an electronic dance music fan i go to all the festivals i'm glad you clarified that i had a horrible image (laughs) sorry no i I, i've heard that term and i had to find out what it meant i didn't know what it was (laughs) yeah electronic dance music there's these new electronic dance music festivals that are like totally everywhere everything right you know and the thing is some of this is great though like it's fun to be a cubs like it's fun to be an lsu tigers fan like it's fun to go on the ride. You get a sense of belonging. You get a sense of yeah. connection with other people. It's fun. There's no hard and, conversations. And and in extremes, right? When there's no there there anymore because you're completely lost in being an Alphabet employer Cubs fan. And then you're becoming a douchebag. So again, our model is about like, hey, all these quadrants, there's a time and a place to hang out there. Just don't go to extreme there. Don't get caught there. 
You, right. you, so one of our good friends is actually a partner in the book and did the graphics for us, Nate Jensen. And he uh, he's a Harvard attorney. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. And when we we're going through the kind of the analytics of the book and preparing the graphics, we're talking about Jed, the character that you read about. That's the douchebag and his Rolex watch and his Prado shoes and the Tom Ford and the bull, just the shit, the Xenia. <laughs> Like he's got it all and he doesn't end. He wears a different costume in the evening. He wears a different, like every, he's got a costume for everything. He wears a different costume when he rides his bike. Like it, it's all over. But Nate challenged me. He's like, well, what if Jed, this character really is a connoisseur enthusiastic and he studied these Rolex automatic watches. And he like, it, this isn't part of his costume because he actually knows what he's buying and he knows the value and he can wear it for two years and sell it for more. And like, he's got this down and, and it's an important part of learning about Jed and these douchebags. Like it's not the thing that makes you a douchebag. It's not the Xenia suit. It's not the shoes and the Prada and the Rolex or the Tesla. That's not what makes you a douchebag. It's what you do with that. And in this case, Jed was wearing it as a goddamn shield. Like, so he, he, no one could see what he really was and what was really happening. All they could see was his loft, his girls, his vacations, his cocaine, whatever it was he could give them that they could see, they, they would enjoy that and not really see him. And, and on a, and a macro, uh, uh, um, macro level this is what instagram is Insta- yeah. for some people for some yeah, people i mean it depends sure, how you yeah. use it right it depends yeah. how you use instagram people use it for all sorts of things but if i use instagram in the most stereotypical way it would be that i am pointing out all of these things i have to hide any it's all the good moments of my life it's that amazing yeah. brunch i had and then and it's hilarious if you've ever hung out with people that take pictures for Instagram and it's like they're like business or side business, it's on it's intolerable. They're like, I need you to move over here. The lighting is here. This and that. Okay, put the salt on the burger. Like it's like a whole thing. And and, and it's not real, right? The rest of the morning right. was hell. And actually, it was hell when you took those pictures for 10 minutes. Um, I've known some people that have had some some wins on there. But the point is, is that it's, it's shielding you these, it's not the thing. It's not that I have all these Cubs posters. It's that the Cubs have consumed me. I don't even know who I am anymore. That's all I live. You know, I live for that. Right. And I'm putting that image out there. Um, so I think that one is, that one's an easy identifier. I feel like for people, uh, it is, but there's a question in there, which you may have caught in the early section on the douchebag chapter, which we ask, and I can't remember how, what voice it's asked in, whether Dave's asking it, the narrator, it's part of the description is, how can this guy who keeps a catalog of his sexual conquests be considered selfless? Mm. Like we, we really put it out there. Like you look at the things that he's doing and how it's affecting other people. How do you explain that he is doing this and he is selfless? And the distinction that is so important with the douchebag when you're applying it personally, like, great, we can apply it to the consumers of Instagram 
Like we do that. If you want to pick a convention, we can apply it to those people too, right? Like the the Raiders, the black hole, we can apply, we can talk about that one too. Like the Cubs, we can talk about that. I was a Mormon missionary. Like you put on a costume every day. So there, there's a experience that applies to all of this. So, but what's important is that the real douchebag, the harm that he is doing is that he, that person, he or she, is kicking the best, authentic, real experience and real life out for all this other bullshit. And it may be one of the greatest gifts that we have. And, and look, you guys are the professionals. I'm just a guy. But I will tell you this. When it comes to trauma... This ability that the human and people have to put on this costume and go on with their life and cast the real experience aside is probably one of the greatest survival tools this species has ever, ever developed. And we may never have anything better. So when you look at what it takes to be that core douchebag, it is a gift that we can even do it. A lot of people would not survive or wake up tomorrow and get on with their day if they couldn't. So I don't want anyone to walk away from this and think that the douchebag is all just a corny shit show because this is the application of an experience or um, a coping mechanism that we have to develop empathy for and understand. And, and I'm ranting my ass off, Dave. No, but you, that's important. They're not going to invite me on these podcasts. <laughs> no, but that's important to understand is that while we're making jokes, right, to identify these archetypes and the stories, at, you know, every one of these archetypes goes to therapy and has a difficult experience or, or a challenging experience. And the point is, is to try to get deeper into the conversation and have empathy, right? Yeah. And to bring it away from the stereotype. But the, the, the archetype helps you identify what's going yeah. on, which leads to the whole second half of the book, which I don't want to give away completely, but if you could tell me a little bit, now that we've understood the strategy of the archetypes, like what, and we help us identify, and there's, you know, there's some things in there that you've already commented on the chapters about like what to do or what they could do or what they were facing, right? The challenges, but then, you know, in the rest of the book, it looks like you're trying to, you're trying to help people here. So can you tell me about that part of it yeah i mean we're, we're joking about these extremes but they're they're all redemptive and they're 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 all doing the best they can right all of it is just strategic behavior to not to deal with their pain to deal with their trauma to try to get by to try to be accepted to try to feel a sense of safety and purpose in the world like there's a lot of compassion for these guys in part because Corey and i are these guys like we don't make any bones about it that they're like out there, they are in here. And we we talked all the time about like, yeah, this is when I spun out into this pussy quadrant the other day when this guy got in my face. Like we, it's live for us. So th there's a way that we're bringing levity to it because it is also funny, but we take them on a ride and, they're, and they, they're, in the, they're in my therapy office throughout the whole book, like parsing through how they got to where they got to. They learn to understand, Jonah learns to understand how and why he became an asshole and how and why it made sense. In fact, it was a great thing for him to become under his circumstances. Same for all the guys. And then they unpack it. 
They unpack so, it. They they do the work. So yeah, that that brings into that kind of concept we get from trauma informed counseling, which is, um, you know, a lot of the things that you've done all while growing up were all survival mechanisms, and they were adaptations. And obviously, yeah. maybe your current self is ashamed of some of those things that you did or said, but you were doing the best you could at the time because uh, that's what humans do. We 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 have a story in our mind and we go, oh, I guess I'm doing this now, right? And we're adapting to circumstances. That's the whole basis of um, the Enneagram too. I mean, it's all like, it's a trauma reaction is why you kind of had this personality type. And then you you came up with this formula for being less dickish, uh, which I think we'll just preview it. I don't want to give it away, but uh, the trace method. Um, yeah. Elaborate on that yeah, a it's worth talking about that because, you know, the TR and trace is just trigger and reaction. Most people live their lives being triggered and then reacting and then repeat these habituated cycles that most people are caught in. And so the ACE and the trace, T-R-A-C-E, is awareness, curiosity, and then experimentation, which is a lot of the therapy work. It's okay, whoa, I'm triggered. I have the awareness that I'm triggered. I'm curious about that. I'm interested in what's being touched in me, a younger part of me. Um, what's the fear? Like getting people curious about what's happening in their body. What's the story they're telling themselves? And then experiment. Like I'm going to experiment with being a little less dickish right now. And that that's a that's that's the basics of trace. And well, I love that when you said I'm gonna experiment with being a little less dickish because that fully falls into my philosophy and psychology. I don't know if I stole this or who I stole this from, but there's all there's some there's some psychology people in our in our profession, unfortunately, that think you can flip a switch, right? Mm -hmm. Just memorize this, you know, these 10 distortions and stop it, you know. Right. Use the rubber band on your wrist and snap yourself every time. And it's like, no, that's not how human nature works. We, it, it's, it's a, a we, we, we came into life, and we, we we're living our life, and we've developed habitual patterns, whether we like it or not. So, thus, if I'm going to start changing, and I'm in one of these quadrants, and I'm really hardcore in one of these quadrants, I can only take little steps at a time. Yeah. You know, I, I can't just you know, move to another city and change my name and change my profession that quickly. Things happen slowly. So I'm going to be a little less dickish. I'm going to try to recognize this, um, you know, have awareness about it. I'm going to, I'm going to get curious about my experience instead of feeling like I'm just trapped in this hell of uh, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Right. So yeah, we, going. I we just want was... people to be actively working with themselves. Like change does not come easy. These structures that got laid down, they're part of our survival system. They're part of our identity. So we don't make any big, bold promises. That's why it's called just be less dickish. Do a little bit less of this thing that you tend to do and see what happens. Like incre incremental change. Yeah, I, I would add to like, the trace method um, that we talk about late in the book. It, we do it all in the context of how these characters apply a healthy response rather than an extreme reaction. And it was fun writing this with Dave because obviously I've been David's client. I've been in <laughs> like, I've had those rants that you're reading about in the book. I've been in those chairs and, and watched Dave and, you know, describing those experiences with the therapist 
we had a great perspective because there's his perspective as the therapist. And I was watching him like we, so we get to describe this in the book. But as we try and put it into words for a reader like you, taking triggers and reactions was really, really hard, but also fun. And because I would just keep drilling, Dave, like, all right, it's a trigger. I own a pistol. It's sitting out there in the in the gun safe over there. That's got a trigger on it. What in the hell is the difference between that trigger and this metaphor, this thing that you're coming up with? And we we kept diving and digging and peeling it back until we figure out, like, what exactly is this? And when we describe what is a trigger and what is a reaction, we had to get to a point where we could say, this is what it is in real terms, like no metaphors, no bullshit. Yes, it's triggers. We've accepted that term, but what's really happening? And and we identify triggers as, hey, this is just the information. It's just a thing. It's just cars lined up on a road traveling at a rate of speed relative to a posted sign on the side of the road. And you're having your own goddamn experience (laughs) too bad for you, but it's just cars and it's just a road in a line. That's it. End of story. And so taking something that simple like triggers and being able to identify it as it's just information. Now look what this asshole, this douchebag and this dick are about to do with that information. That's where it gets interesting. And you start recognizing yourself in these triggers. It's, it's going to get crazier. Like if you think you saw something so far, you ain't seen shit. (laughs) Yeah. This, this is, this is so paramount. Like when we say like, Oh, you triggered me or I'm triggered. All we're saying is I'm affected by information from my environment. I'm having a response to information from my environment. So we wanted to make it, we wanted to break it down to the actual experience. Like I'm having this reaction, something happened out there or a thought happened in my head and now I'm reacting this way. That's all we know. And we start from there, which is actually a beautiful place to start from because it's the only thing we know for sure that's true is I'm having a reaction. Right. And how do you live in the awareness that you're having a reaction instead of being the reaction and acting it out? I think that's kind of where we're coming from. That's the everything. That's the ace, like through awareness, curiosity, and experimentation. Yeah, I love it. You know what's interesting about that, David, is, is, you know, Paul's brought up the example of Instagram a few times on this call, and we've talked about that. Is like, If you had these people show up in your office and you were asking them, like, why are you having this experience? Why do you feel this way? What are you responding or reacting to? And you really dug down. It'd be surprising how many people would say, "For I'm going to use a terrible example here to set this thing into the ditch. I'm having this reaction to what happened on January 6, 2021. And if you really dove down to ask these people like, all right, that's your reaction to January 26. What are you really reacting to? Well, they weren't there. They got it secondhand. They got it from a friend who already had a feel like it, it. Ultimately they ended up reading something on Facebook and then they saw a link on Facebook to something else. And it, you really get down to like, what are you really responding to? It's a piece of a story that you read on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you go. And that simple acknowledgement 
gives people a little bit more perspective on what they're really experiencing. And I know that's a triggering extreme, not to make fun of it, but it's like, you can really like get down, like, what is the information? What am I really responding to? And it's like, yeah, I just spent an hour on Twitter in a hive of bullshit. And now I'm all jacked up. Yep. That's what you got. Like, good for you. It works. <laughs> You're jacked up. It's working. Yeah. It's it. it, it yeah. It, and that's, and the, and the hard part about it is, you know, we have to practice, you know, we have to practice this, these methods, uh, we have to do the work. Um, that's, I don't know why I'm quoting Carl Jung so much, but they, he said, uh, something, something like what we don't deal with, uh, in our inner self will come to us in our outside lives and we'll call it fate. Right. So if we're not dealing with stuff in our minds and our reactions and our triggers and our, our behavior, and we know there's something going on in here, eventually something is going to happen to us and we're going to call it fate, you know, when it's actually us, we're, we're helping drive this car, right? We're helping. Yeah. We, we, we were in the Twitter hive for an hour and then we punched somebody, you know, I, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. We threw our phone at Denny's, we're like, ah, I hate <laughs> you know, and then, and then the cops were called and then we're a victim. It's Twitter's yeah, fault. Yeah. I'm suing Twitter, you know, yeah, but, all because of this thing that happened 3000 right. miles away right. i'm now being arrested by the cops yeah th right. that's a <laughs> exactly right I, I mean it's a reaction to a reaction to a reaction to a reaction yeah. so anyway uh i i want to know I, we we have a little bit of time left not too much i want to know um how has this publishing this book and you know writing this book changed both of you and um and i i have a selfish question which is are you going to make an audiobook version? Yeah. Dave, Dave, you're first. Um, well, the short answer is there's already an audiobook version out and Corey reads it and oh. he's spectacular. What? Where yeah. have I been? Okay. Well, I haven't been on Twitter enough to find it. Where is yeah. it in, on Audible or what? It's no. on Audible. Yeah. Corey's got a great. He's got a great bluesy voice, which you can already hear from this yeah. podcast. So it's a he, he reads it great. Oh, this is exciting for me. I love yeah. audio books. And uh, how has it changed me? I mean, the, a, a more vulnerable answer would me for me would be it it shows me uh, like you know I've been a clinician for almost twenty years, so I'm very competent in that configuration. But that's facing another person that. So for me, it's it's shown me like how much I struggle with like talking about this book and like going on social media and like bringing this work out into the world. It's been it's that's been the big part of my journey since we published it about nine months ago. Is um, I want to get this work out in the world, and it makes me really fucking uncomfortable to talk about my work and my journey and like to teach. I'm much more comfortable in a therapist like role so for me it's really been confronting and i've had to deal with my own impatience with myself for not trying to get the work out more than i have and i'm just resistant as shit i am resistant i'm overly conscientious here to use our model and um and i'm not able to just like you know i mean i'm doing it more and more but like that's been the journey for me is like it's a really different role than being a therapist and it's a great edge for me 
because I really believe this work has already touched a lot of people. We've gotten amazing feedback. And I'm like, why doesn't that motivate me to get it out in the world more? I even have another edge for you. So after yeah. you spend the next Paul. so after after you spend the next five years promoting this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna push you, I'm gonna be I, I don't know you, so you can say fuck off, but essentially. <laughs> You know, I, I think you, I think you got to push this and go to, you know, those like book festivals and all that shit. But really where I feel like this is going, I feel like this book could go is two ways. You could also go to making a uh, companion piece for therapists, how to work with men. And, and, and cause these archetypes are just, I mean, I pro I think you guys probably like sweated blood over making these archetypes. They're perfect. It's perfect. It makes so much sense. It's scary. Um, and I've read a lot of self-help books. I've read a Robert Bly and Michael, whatever is it, Michael Mead. I've read all this yeah. stuff, right? And, and, and James Hillman. And it's, it's all really intellectual. This is applicable. So I yeah. feel like right there, therapists need it. So what I think you should do is make a thing for, uh, for therapists, how to work with men, mm -hmm. how to work with these archetypes. How do you help them uh, deal with men who are, are difficult, who maybe don't want to be in therapy. Maybe they were threatened. A lot of men, you know, they say, I'm coming to therapy. I'll be there. And then, and five sessions in, they go, yeah, my partner, my wife, my job. They told me if I don't go, I'm fired. I'm divorced. I'm broken right. up with. Yeah. You don't find that out till session five. So I think that would be cool. I also could see this. I don't know. This is a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit of an idealist, but like, you know how they used to have men's retreats in the nineties and they'd like play bongo drums and like cry and like roll in the mud and scream and stuff. Well, I think we could update that with this book <laughs> and maybe whatever kind of things you guys are into. I don't know, you know, some go to a NASCAR cool race. Yeah. NASCAR. <laughs> I mean, you could go to Talladega and just have a stand. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, you know, I, 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 I'm going to go there. I feel like, I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like this book has legs. I think it's just, you know, like anything, everyone's trying to go viral and it takes, it takes some time to go there. So I'm just encouraging it. No, it's, I, I believe in the book and the project a hundred percent and just like, for me to be someone that can stand up and say, we're going to talk about assholes and pussies and dicks and douchebags and the way that you're an asshole and a pussy and a dick and a douchebag, I'm still working up to it. I'm still working up to owning the content of the book and the intensity and the charge that's in the book. Well, it's somewhere inside of you, obviously, because you wrote it, you know? I know, but maybe it's just not, maybe you need a few tattoos and, um, <laughs> In a personal trainer, maybe, you know, I don't know, that would yell at you. I don't, I'm just teasing. Anyway. <laughs> no, no, but that's that's been the richness since we published it. I mean, the book was its whole ride, but since the book is published, it's like, gear up, kid. Your life is changing. And I'm, I'm navigating my own resistance, my excitement, my uh, not knowing how to do it. So here I am. I'm, I'm fucking tracing my ass off in my own process. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So, yeah. and Paula, I, I feel like that was a personal jab. I've been sitting here for an hour and a half with my arm wrapped in cellophane because I got a sleeve tattoo yesterday and <laughs> hasn't been exposed to oxygen for 24 hours. <laughs> you want to yeah. show us this tattoo? Oh, nice. Whoa, you did you just get the whole thing done? Uh, got the other side done. Oh, I the got the inside. I got the inside. I would show you, but it's still yeah. Not, you it's can't. Still... It looks cool. <laughs> yeah, it looks like uh, a lot of ink. Yeah, and it's yeah. and we're probably seventy five percent down for eighty percent somewhere around there. We got a little bit more work to do. 
Yeah, well, so, sorry for personally attacking you. No. <laughs> sorry, I'm curious what how life has changed for you since we put it out there. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. You know, when we were writing this, it took a few years to get through it. Um, you know, we we're processing the characters, then we had the words and the grammar, and and then we went through the whole process to get the audio book done. And it was more work than I expected, and it was more fulfilling than I expected. Um, it was and getting it done, getting the seeing it come in the mail and and getting the reviews that we've been getting has been profound. Um, one way that it's changed me and really affected me, and we Dave and I have talked about this in detail and privately and some recorded conversations like this is, how many people have come to us and said, this particular section just made me cry. Mm. Like I was in tears and it, you can't predict what section is going to do that to people or why. And, and we have no idea all the time, but it surprises me when people tell me the section and I'm like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Or I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed that. And, and I think, you know, for me, how it's changed me, I had the luxury, if you want to call that, of having my wife with me every step of the way. She read the manuscript out loud, and we took turns on a road trip. We read the original manuscript from Dave, and we were both touched by it. Like, this has legs. Like, there's a lot of value in this. And then going through a two-year process and her being part of every line paragraph word and telling us all right you guys have crossed it here there's one too many fucks in this sentence when at the point where you hit 15 like 13 might be your limit here you know (laughs) (laughs) but but really having the kelly around and seeing these characters and we talked about Jonah and Eric and George and Jed and these guys. But if you noticed, every one of them has a Kayla and a Shaley, and there's someone on the other side of all of this. And it's it's been amazing to be able to put words to the other side of what's happening to this weird behavior. Um, so there's that. And then there's the other piece, which is that in every single one of these characters, there is something in there that is from me personally. Like there is something that's described that you are almost seeing it through my eyes, my experience or my journal. And, And being able to look back at this and especially having Dave as a friend now and a former professional your relationship as a therapist and being able to say, yeah, we got through that too. Like I got to the other side of that too, to the point where I could actually put it in writing and own it. I don't give a shit. Like it's like that realization that like, yeah, some of that bad, awful, ugly shit, that was me. And yet here we are writing a book and explaining this in a way that is going to touch people like that. I can't help, but be humbled by it, but also I get to be proud of it too. Like we, we did a, we wrote a hell of a book. Uh, That is a hell of a book that we put out. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I feel like this podcast could be three hours, but uh, due to time constraints, we're going to have to wrap up here in a second. So um, what I would just say uh, to the listeners is if you were at all intrigued by this you know, conversation, unrehearsed, no bullet points, no prescription you know, going on, um, pick up the book. Uh, it's on Audible. Which, if you know, if you're busy these days and you want to get your steps in, just you know, put on the <laughs> Audible book. Yeah. Or if you like to sit in a chair or whatever, get the get the hard copy. And I think this it will it will I will just say as a reader that it reads real quickly. I I mean I read I don't know forty pages like one evening and another forty the next seat. I mean it was just real quick and I was intrigued and I was engrossed. And so that is rare uh, as a book reader. I, I'm a big book reader, but it, it's it's hard to find a book, especially a self-help book that I'm like, oh, good. I can't wait to see what's next. Self-help books, I'm like, oh, my God, yawn. Uh, where's <laughs> yeah. the one point I can use in my practice or what? You know what's going right. on here? But you know, it's like I've heard this before. I haven't heard any of this before except on the playground with name calling. Uh, but <laughs> it, it has some very good applications. So um and then there's the cultural viewpoint. So I want to thank you both for uh, making time. I know that we're in three different time zones right now, and that was pretty cool to coordinate. And I, uh, I'm i really excited to see what comes up next. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to put links for all of the book and any other websites or whatever you guys want uh, in the notes of the podcast. And let me, Paul, Very let me good. say one more, let me say one yeah, more thing. I think it's important. And that's to uh, potential women readers that, I really want, I wrote, I wrote the book with women in mind because I want women to, to be able to see and, and understand bad male behavior and to not get pulled into it, to not get pulled into like mothering the pussy or going along with the douchebags bullshit or like apologizing to the dick. I want women to stay in their center and to be able to see what's going on and demand to be met in a centered way because it's so easy to get spun out by these guys because it's powerful, it's compelling. And a lot of women will say, I just don't understand. I don't know what's going on. Or they want to like, oh, I want to, he's so wounded. I want to help him. I'm like, no, no, no. You can help him by seeing the dynamic that's being played out, seeing what you're being pulled into and saying, no, thank you. I'm not going to meet you out there where you're the victim, but I'll meet you in here where we can talk about your experience. So I, I just want to put that out there. I didn't get a chance to mention it, but it's, I want women to understand men and I want women to call men into more mature behavior. Oh, 100%. I love that. Uh, I, I'm actually uh, going to recommend this book to a lot of women I know because I think mm -hmm. that women have more power than they may believe in their relationship if they're yeah. able to understand how the male is thinking and why they might be behaving this way. They can really be instrumental for him to get the the starter going in the car to do his own work right i think that the, that the males got to ultimately do their own work but it starts with some boundaries and some authentic uh conversations instead of whatever trauma response the woman is falling into or the man don't get pulled into bullshit yes. name it see it and provide better alternatives yeah Exactly. Just be sure you can edit this. What I'm about to say, you can edit this out too. Uh -oh. You can just tell these women that here's some men who will mansplain men to you. <laughs> <laughs> 
so as a joke the other day i i uh somebody said uh somebody was like oh wait what's mansplaining and so then i proceeded as a joke to over explain it for like five <laughs> minutes until they uh -huh. realized what i was doing and threw something at me but it was fun it was fun <laughs> I just mansplained mansplained. Anyway, yeah, right. <laughs> it was great having you guys on. Really fun, and, Paul. Really fun. Thanks for yeah, having us. Sounds good. Hey, and uh, I enjoyed it. Awesome. Yep. And there you have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with people you know. I would surely appreciate it or leave us a rating on iTunes. If you are looking for an EMDR International Association consultant, I am now an official consultant and can provide 20 hours needed to become EMDR International Association certified. I am hosting groups online and in person. For details, check out my websites, counselingsupervisorgr.com or healthforlifegr.com for more details. If you are in need of counseling, do not hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the Grand Rapids area at Health for Life Counseling Grand Rapids and the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss, and while these are based upon literature he has read and his experience in the field, they should not be viewed as a definitive opinion on this subject, or any subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please call 911 right now or the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Are you a young person of color feeling down, stressed out, or overwhelmed? Text the word Steve, that's S-T-E-V-E, to 741741, and a live, trained crisis counselor will respond. Did you know that you could support your local bookstore by shopping at bookshop.org? That's right, bookshop.org. You can order online from the comfort of your own home while supporting local businesses near you. If you are a therapist and you are not a member of your local counseling organization, I implore you to get involved. The Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association, uh, the American Counseling Association, for examples, are promoting best practices and making sure that mental health services are available and accessible by the public. Until next time, I'm wishing you all a safe and peaceful week. Is it all?